Welcome to today's Immigration Hour. It's great to be with you today. We, uh, we have some stunning news uh, to, uh, to bring out today on the Immigration Hour. Um, you know, there is uh, all kinds of um, uh, uh, immigration news that happen every single day uh, in extraordinary different types of, of scenarios. Uh, I have been carefully following uh, my friend... Uh, Jody Goodwin's uh, tales about MPP at the border, that, that is decades of podcasts in and of itself about how terrible that situation is. Um, but uh, today I want to talk about the Visa Bulletin for March 2020. Uh, the Visa Bulletin of March 2020 marks a, uh, a land, a bombshell, a, a, a Moab, a mother of all bombs of Visa Bulletins. Uh, because uh, for the first time in a number of years, the EB3 category uh, is now uh, uh, interminably backlogged uh, for uh, the rest of the world. Uh, we are looking at a January 2017 priority date. So let's take a look at that. Everybody knows that the Visa Bulletin is what controls both when you can file for your green card as an employment-based or family-based immigrant, and when the Immigration Service can approve your green card as both a family-based and employment-based immigrant. And of course, family-based immigrants have faced decades-long backlogs for decades. Uh, that, that's not new. Employment-based uh, uh, immigrants, on the other hand, have, for the last, really since about 10, 11, 12, a pretty open, a pretty straightforward, a pretty quick processing uh, for uh, their green cards uh, through employment-based categories, uh, whether it's EB2, EB1, uh, they've all been pretty, pretty quick. Uh, and as a result, uh, a lot of people have begun to file uh, employment-based third preference cases for uh, any job, and of course it can be for any job. It is, uh, it's th this category is actually designed to, uh, uh, to allow employers to hire anybody they want to as long as they can show that there are no qualified, able, and willing U.S. workers to do those jobs. And uh, uh, because there has been uh, really no backlog for quite some time, most of the decade, most of the teens, uh, lots of people were able to immigrate. And this, these included people like asylum seekers who came to the United States and applied for asylum within the authorized period of stay. So they came as a visitor, applied for asylum. A lot of Venezuelans have done this. And then they find an employer and they process their green card and they, they've been entitled to do that. Uh, it also applies to companies that want to bring in chicken processors or uh, want to bring in um, nuclear engineers. It doesn't matter. I mean, if, you, if it was EB3 or EB2, you were getting green cards right away. Now, we have spent a lot of time on our podcast in the last uh, six months talking about the effects of Senate Bill 386. And even though I have been echoing the fact that uh, EB3 is not going to stay current for long uh, uh, for the world, regardless of, of SB, FS386, we raised the alarms about S386 that it would absolutely result in an immediate worldwide backlog extending at least till 2009. It would literally send the numbers back from current 
to January 2009 because that is the day uh, that India is uh, is processing their green cards. Um, and so if uh, S386 takes effect, not only do uh, employer employees lose the ability to continue extending their H-1Bs, because that goes away because 386 is such a poorly written bill, um, but it means that uh, nobody's immigrating from anywhere in the world but India uh, for the next decade. You know, oh, it's only eight years. Okay, eight years. All right, sorry, I didn't mean to say decade. Uh, for the next decade. And um, then China will get a couple of years, and then the rest of the world will start adjudicating the cases that they have been filing since, apparently now, January 2017. But today, and we've been warning, we knew this was coming, we knew the date was coming, because Charlie Oppenheim from the Department of State has been telling us that there appears to be serious, substantial adjustment of status demand for EB3 cases. Uh, and we pointed out quite clearly that just last year, the uh, Department of Labor had approved close to 100,000 labor certifications. Uh, well, those, you know, and they weren't all from India. I mean, there was a lot of people that weren't from India on that list, too, um, because of this, um, of lawyers discovering the fact that you could do EB3 cases for people uh, that were in asylum proceedings. Um, and uh, EB3 cases, people that have 245I eligibility, uh, they're still winning on their Mexican cases from 25 years ago, and they could they could do a labor cert, uh, or they have 245I eligibility, but their qualifying relative died, and they have nobody to take their place. So there's lots of different reasons you could do EB3 plus the normal. Hey, uh, I'm on an L1B, and I want I want these. I want to get a green card from my employer. Okay, well we have to do the labor certification. Um, well, that demand has now finally caught up with the numbers for the rest of the world. Now, again, we've spent shows talking about uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the per-country limit uh, that, that 386 tries to solve but doesn't effectively solve in any good way. Um, and now we're looking at the consequence of, of a numbers issue. So what 386 tried to do was ignore the numbers issue uh, and simply say, hey, heck with the numbers. You don't need to raise the numbers. Just give, give India all the numbers until we get caught up with the rest of the world. And I, I mean, I understand the justification for that. It's not fair to have one country significantly backlog for the rest of the countries, although that's been happening to Mexico for, for 30 years and nobody's complained about Mexico. Nobody said, Mexico shouldn't wait this long for visas. Well, you know, but that's Mexico, right? They're not from India. Um, and uh, what we have here uh, with the EB3 category uh, starting on March 1 is that there is now a substantial uh, three-year backlog on cases. So three years from the day that you filed your labor cert, uh, you can now file your adjustment of status. Now keep in mind, that date was current, and it's actually current through the end of February, so we've got a lot of work to do this month to get labor certs filed for people, for adjustment of status to file for people that have approved by 140s. Um, but at the same time, if uh, that adjustment of status is not received by February 28th, Friday, not postmarked, but received by February 28th, uh, then uh, people will have to wait 
probably a couple more, three more years or more. But here is perhaps the most telling thing about this category, which has now been backlogged across the board to January 2017. China remains at 22 March 16, and India is at January 15, 2009. Uh, so there have been, uh, and, and other workers are the same across the board, except for India, which is January 109, and for China, it's uh, June 08. Uh, so China has a huge backlog for other workers, uh, but the rest of the world is the same uh, for other workers in third preference. But uh, what we found in the, in the notes as part of this is that there will likely not be any movement for the foreseeable future on EB3 uh, visas. Uh, and, and that is because of unusually high demand for adjustment of status cases. So again, no movement for the foreseeable future on approvals of these cases. Now, for purposes of filing adjustment of status cases under the EB3 uh, category, that is at January 19, not January 17. So these cases can still be filed now, uh, if you have a priority date of January 19, but expect that to also backlog substantially over the course of the uh, over the course of the next few months, because again, there are thousands of people, thousands of types of people that have not been filing for green cards in the past that are now filing green cards. I'll tell you, for example, there's a there's a company based here in Georgia, run by a lawyer. Uh, which works with chicken processing plants. <coughs> um, and uh, they, uh, they get an agreement from the chicken processing company to employ people under labor certification uh, for a period of a couple years after they get their green card. And in return, these people pay $15,000, $20,000 for that job. So people are actually paying for a job uh, to work in chicken processing, which, if you don't know, is a terrible job, uh, and for which there's always job openings uh, at these companies, in order to get a green card in the U.S. so that after a couple of years of being a chicken processor, they can do something else. Uh, I actually had a phone call the other day from a, an individual with a master's degree uh, yeah, from, uh, from Mexico who had a, had a, was having a difficulty because his employer had laid him off and he told me that he was going, he had just hired this company for $15,000 to process his green card. And I, and I said, look, dude, uh, be really careful about this because these numbers are gonna backlog and you're gonna get stuck in a backlog and really, do you wanna process chicken? And he says, I don't have any other way to get a green card. Um, so what you're seeing is a, uh, uh, a reaction to numbers. So this gets us back to where uh, those of us who oppose 386 have always been. And that, uh, yes, per country limits are not good, and we need to do away with those in an orderly, prompt fashion. But the way to do away with those is not to punish everybody else and put everybody else into a 2009 backlog, but rather the appropriate way is to increase employment-based numbers to reflect the fact that U.S. employers are running ads and looking for U.S. workers under the program designed by the U.S. government for such purposes and are not finding them for hundreds of thousands of jobs. Uh, and it makes no sense 
to run a labor certification and run ads in 2020 for a job uh, and find that there are no qualified workers and then put that person into a 17-year-long line and say in 17 years, in 2037, you can immigrate because in 2020, we couldn't find any U.S. workers. That is just stupid. I mean, that is just stupid. And that is why we have to have increased numbers on employment-based immigration without robbing them from family-based numbers where people have waited patiently for decades to come to the United States um, and without destroying diversity immigration uh, from continents like Africa and Asia, which have historically been underrepresented in the United States. Uh, at least some countries have. Uh, so we we have to look at this uh, in kind of an eyes wide open. And and Charlie Oppenheimer from the Department of State, using the bill at Visa Bolton, has now brought the sledgehammer down and said, "Look at where we're going." Uh, and uh, I think what will happen, uh, he gets numbers from uh, from the consular officials who are not, I don't think consular officials are seeing increased usage of EB3. It's all with USCIS. And as USCIS reports, I don't know, tens of thousands of filings for EB3 cases uh, that will take years to resolve. And so that's why you have the cutoff from January 17th. Charlie must think that there are enough EB3 cases to fill that backlog using the per country limits um, going forward for at least the next three years, if not more. Now here's the downside for people from India. This actually gets worse for Indian nationals and Chinese nationals who have been taking the numbers from the rest of the world that aren't being used in EB3 and EB2 and EB1. And now, where, where before they were getting maybe eight or 10 or 12,000 uh, EB3 numbers, now they're just going to get their 1,500. That's all there is because the rest of the world is going to be using theirs. Um, and uh, it is, it, I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if, given the sheer number of Venezuelans that are applying for EB3, uh, that they don't get their own cutoff category at a certain point here uh, in the future, much like the Philippines has one. So this is really a stunning development. And because it's a stunning development, because it plays right into um, S386, and rumors that are swirling that it, it's going to be active again. I mean, I don't believe that's true uh, because there are, there are now people opposed to Durbin's amendment, and it, it just it's just it's just it's not set up to work properly today. Uh, and I don't think S386 or Durbin's own bill are going to go anywhere in this Congress. I'm going to be meeting with Durbin here uh, in March. Uh, to get you know to find out what's going on, and we'll of course update our listeners to what to that information. But now we're looking at backlogs that, uh, again, we haven't seen in a decade, and it'll have a substantial impact on people's ability to ultimately stay in the United States long term. Uh, fortunately, Charlie did not did not backlog the filing dates. I would anticipate that the backlog of those filing dates is absolutely going to happen over the next few months. Uh, because as we see this, uh, here's what Charlie wrote uh, in this. 
As readers were advised in the February Visa Bulletin, there continues to be an extremely high rate of demand for EB3 and third other worker categories, primarily from USCIS adjustment of status applicants. Therefore, pursuant to the Immigration Nationality Act, it has been necessary to impose EB3 and EW uh, employment-based other worker final action dates for the month of March. The March final action date is January 1, 2017, and is being posed immediately for all future requests for numbers. Now, what's unclear if uh, is um, they simply they're simply not going to adjudicate cases before that date. This action will allow the department to hold worldwide number use within the maximum allowed number under fiscal year 2020 annual limits. No forward movement of this date is expected in the foreseeable future. Bam. Bam. Uh, and um, it is, um, uh, all we can say is we told you this was going to happen uh, in a lot of our podcasts on S386, and now, in fact, it has happened. And because it has happened, um, we need to prepare. So lawyers listening to this, you've got to get your adjustment of status applications uh, with priority dates prior to uh, January 1, 2019, filed this month. Now, you're probably all pushing for that anyway to avoid public charge and other issues and having to do the extra form. But this is something that must be done. If you've got a pending I-140, basically you have to premium process it now. Um, and you, know, you may not have enough time to get that approved by CIS if they just sit on it uh, to get your adjustment filed or to concurrently file your adjustment without having uh, uh, that I-140 approved. Those things have to happen this month and it is going to be kind of a Mr. Toad's wild ride for the next uh, 12 days of this month uh, here, uh, certainly at Cook Baxter. Uh, so that's uh, that's our first segment here. I just thought that we need to get on the air, talk about this right away uh, because of the massive impact it is absolutely going to have uh, on individuals seeking to remain in the United States, especially those on L-1Bs because they will not be able to extend beyond the H-1B category, and they will actually have to try to get maybe into this year's H-1B lottery now if they even qualify. Problem is a lot of L-1Bs, of course, don't qualify for H-1Bs. We'll be right back here on the Immigration Hour in our next segment. Welcome back. I know you haven't gone anywhere. I went somewhere. Sorry about that. Um, I had to take a break here for a second to get something to drink. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about what the what this visa bulletin now means for the chances of S-3. I kind of briefly touched on that in the last segment, but I think we have to look at this in a logical perspective. Uh, I think the argument for S-386 was, was strong in the context of, hey, look, the rest of the world, they're not even using their numbers. They're not using them. So what, what do they even need them for? Um, we, we, people that have been sitting around for a decade waiting for their green cards should be able to get the numbers if the rest of the world isn't using them. And I, you know, it's hard, it's harder to argue with that, although, you know, there are, there are, I think, very good arguments on the, on, on the anti-S386 side and why it need to be ameliorated uh, without a jump off into the deep end. But now the argument that S386 is actually a solution to a problem uh, is, uh, I think, it evaporates because it's clearly not now. Now we have um, uh, what could only be, only be stated as the logical extension of a growing economy uh, without a concomitant uh, growing population. And if you don't have a growing workforce 
in the context of the uh, uh, of the economy, and you have to bring workers in all levels of jobs, from chicken processors to nuclear scientists to software engineers to the United States, to do this work, then and you you have no choice but to look at numbers as the issue, and not uh, reallocation as the issue. Uh, which is why I think uh, Durbin's bill now comes into focus as wildly more important. Now, here, here's actually another way to look at this. Trump uh, wants to get back into the immigration debate on his terms as a newly emboldened uh, autocrat uh, that he views himself as after impeachment. But think about this. His bill, the relief bill, which is sponsored by Cotton and and Purdue, does in fact increase what's called employment-based numbers. And they do it in a weird way. They do it in a way that's not really going to solve the problem. But they increase the numbers by stealing them from family-based immigration and basically eliminating just basically eliminating family-based immigration. Let's not kid ourselves. It's a basic elimination of family-based immigration. So by doing that, um, it's clear that Congress is willing, even even, uh, strong-arm nativists like Cotton and Purdue and Trump and his minions, they're prepared to increase numbers for employment-based immigrants. They just don't want to let their families come. Now, this is interesting because if you look at that in the context of, of, of cultures from which people come, most countries around the world, you know, whether they be from Africa or from Latin America or from Asia, they value their parents. And the, the Purdue Cotton Trump bill eliminates the ability to bring your parents. They can't come. Sorry, they're not coming. Uh, which, of course, in their perspective, would mean people don't come to the U.S. and they know they can't bring their parents ultimately. Um, but this, I think, gives Trump a talking point. I say, look, we're prepared to help all you people. You just have to sacrifice on the altar of nativism your families. Are you willing to sacrifice on the altar of nativism your families in order for you to immigrate to the U.S. in a reasonable period of time? I think this debate will pop up its ugly, its ugly head again here relatively quickly. Uh, now, immigrated, 436 immigration lawyers from around the United States will be going to Washington, D.C. Uh, in March uh, on our annual Lobby Day visit to go speak to our representatives and, Cong- and senators about their bills, about this issue. Um, and, of course, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know the message we should be carrying. But you should also be calling your congressmen and representatives and saying this, this visa bulletin brings up the exact Problem that we predicted would happen with the passage of S-386 without even the passage of S-386 is we would now have this backlog that will have an extraordinarily detrimental effect. And I'll give you a great example. One of my employers, one of my employer clients, they employ dozens of individuals in their company from around the world. They're not, they don't actually have a lot of clients, employees from Southeast Asia. There are a lot from Africa and Europe. But most of them come on L1Bs. And for those that want to remain in the United States, they have to go through the labor certification process. Uh, they are not able uh, to, uh, to go through uh, the EB1 process, which itself is now backlogged <laughs> even further. 
So because they have to go through this process and because they only have five years, they will literally have to start the green card process immediately upon entry to even have a chance at getting a green card under this month's visa bulletin. But I actually expect the visa bulletin to backlog even further in coming months uh, because I think the demand is is sitting there at the Department of Labor in thousands, tens of thousands of labor certifications um, and I-140s that will be filed as a result that are going to look devastatingly large in the context of the available visa numbers for the rest of the world. So uh, what this means for 386 is I think the need for 386 dissipates um, and a need for a bill that increases numbers, which is where those of us that oppose 36 have always been, we now need to reorganize our forces, reorganize our message to go after more numbers. And it's quite clear that the, uh, that the backers of S-36 have been extraordinarily effective in their messaging. Uh, uh, they have been extraordinarily effective in getting people, uh, representatives and, and senators on their side, or at least at least voting on their side, if not understanding what was actually going on. But 386 now will no longer solve any problem at all. Not going to solve a problem because the worldwide demand is now so large uh, that, uh, and the growing demand that's coming forward will be so large uh, that um, just rearranging the deck chairs in the Titanic are, is simply not going to solve our problem. We need to make the Titanic bigger. And by the way, if you ever really noticed a picture of the Titanic compared to a modern cruise ship, it is like a yacht. It's way smaller uh, than than most than the modern cruise ships that hold three or four times as many people. Um, so what what I'm calling for is uh, is an opportunity uh, and a and a and a beginning of a process to get more numbers added to our employment base and I would argue our family based categor- uh, categories to get rid of any unreasonable backlogs. I mean, if you're waiting more or three or if you're waiting longer than the visa period in which you have to be in the United States uh, through employment-based immigration for a green card, there's something wrong with the system. Because what's going to happen, and this is, has already happened because of the H-1B crunch, uh, is companies will simply relocate. They will move their, their, their intelligence, they will move their processing overseas where labor is in greater supply, particularly for lesser skilled jobs um, that many in the EB-3 are now filing for, uh, and we as a country will, will suffer. It, again, immigration should be and must always be in our national interest. Uh, I have a strong belief and a heritage that reflects that exact belief, and I've worked for 30 years uh, to, to bring that out, to, to preach from the rooftops about both the importance and the power of, of, of immigration of all types to the U.S., not just high-skilled immigration, but immigration of all types. Um, and I think we have to now join in this shout together and not attack each other, not claim that one side is racist because they oppose people from one country. Nobody opposes immigration. Not a single immigration lawyer I know opposes immigration. Every single immigration lawyer I know hates doing H-1B renewals. I truly hate it. It's awful, um, especially in the current administration. Uh, what we want is a process that is smooth, uh, that serves our national interest, 
that doesn't un unduly punish anybody from any country uh, that wants to come here, that ensures that Americans are protected uh, in the context of their jobs and, and, and their freedoms uh, and their security. Uh, but all that can be accomplished only through all of us, all immigrants, all immigrant advocates, working together towards a common goal. Um, you know, once again, yesterday I had an American come into my office with somebody who was undocumented. So, you know, I don't care about the rest of these illegal aliens, but, uh, you know, Maria, she, she and my wife, they're very dear friends, and Maria, she's different. And I had to explain to this guy who's from South Georgia that Maria's not different. Maria is just like the millions of other people that we can't help because our Congress refuses to do anything. And I tried to educate him in the time that we had about the power of his phone call as a U.S. citizen to his, his federal senator and his federal representative to get their act together. Now, unfortunately, the politics of our time and, and Trump's uh, uh, demonization of immigrants uh, puts us in a position where we're probably not going to have any real or substantive or valid fix to our immigration laws uh, before the election. Now, depending on what happens on that first Tuesday in November, uh, if Trump wins re-election, he will, of course, be empowered. And, in fact, you may see uh, an immigration bill, a, a, a broad immigration bill, come down in the lame duck session. I'll remind our listeners, and I've said this for a decade, or 12 years now, that uh, the best immigration laws passed during the lame duck session. If you go back and look at all the best immigration laws, you will see they pass during lame duck sessions. When the votes no longer matter, for people can vote their conscience, especially those that are leaving office, they can vote their, quote, conscience on immigration as opposed to voting what might get them reelected uh, uh, six years later or four years later or two years later. So that's a, quite pos that's a possibility. If Trump loses... I think there's a very strong possibility uh, that we would see a very positive immigration bill uh, because if, if it doesn't pass uh, during that time, um, then I think the Republicans will harden, and if they keep the Senate, I think we will have no movement on immigration thanks to, thanks to uh, uh, Mitch McConnell, who will have nothing to do because he won't have any judges to make, uh, to make into federal, uh, permanent federal jobs. Um, so this is an interesting time for us. I think the Visa Bulletin and Charlie Oppenheim have, have sent us a loud and clear message that now is the time to work together for more numbers. And yes, more numbers can pass the Senate. Yes, more numbers can pass the House. We've done it before. We can do it again. But you say, well, Trump will veto it. Okay. Well, then let him veto it. And let's get a vote together to override that veto. When 70% of Americans support, as they do, positive immigration reform that increases numbers to reflect our economy, then we should be moving forward on that. We shouldn't be hesitating. Uh, this is going to be a, a wild ride uh, this month. Uh, I wish all my immigration lawyer listeners a fun end of February as we uh, as we work to uh, to try to get uh, uh, um, uh, this uh, this crazy adjustment of status stuff filed. To those of you who are listening on 3D6, don't hate me. I'm just telling you what what the reality is on this. Both that this favor 3D6 and favor 3D6, it's no longer the solution. And, and, and for this reason, it wasn't the solution six months ago, because the numbers just aren't there. 
uh, and we, I, I knew this was coming because we do a lot of these cases, and we knew exactly what that result was going to be. And because it is that result, because we now know in, in stark terms what this really is, uh, we, have to, uh, uh, we have to make a move. And now is the time to get together and make this happen in the context of, of the law. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening this week. This is your host, Charles Cook of the Immigration Hour and Cook Baxter Immigration. Uh, it's a joy to be with you. We're going to have a, uh, uh, a fun podcast next week. Uh, as we as will be our first week uh, working on uh, under the new law with the form I-944 and public charge. Uh, it is, this has truly become, for those old Disneyland and Disney World fans, this is Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Till next week, have a great week.